So what's going on, y'all? <clears throat> Think, thanks for tuning in. Uh, just a quick note before we jump straight into the interview with Grandpa. We had some technical difficulties, so there are a few awkward pauses and things where the video and audio didn't sync properly, so please excuse that. I'm going to leave the video running up until the lag starts to become more apparent, uh, just so you can kind of see the real people involved in the talk. It was a really great conversation I had with Grumpa, so thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, um, thanks uh, thanks for all the support, everybody. Really appreciate it, and I hope you like the interview. All right, so welcome back to another episode of the Citizen Hush Podcast. I have finally gotten authorization to have a podcast without adult supervision. And uh, tonight's guest is a very special person. He is a breaker of people, processes, and technology, as well as a black hole for good ideas and intention. Inten uh, rather, shit, I fucked up. A black hole for uh, good ideas and intentions. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to introduce to you the motherfucking Grandpa. What's Hello, up, sir? man? <laughs> I, uh, I practiced that for maybe 30 seconds before we started Nailed talking it. here, and then it kind of lapsed my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Like, uh, we we run in very similar uh, crowds on Twitter. Uh, on the goon goon Twitter crowd, I I think I'm more goon Twitter adjacent. But depending depending on what I'm posting that day, y'all will claim me or uh, put me off in the into the corner. <laughs> it just depends on if I'm playing devil's advocate. If I'm allowed in, either. So don't worry. We're a fickle crowd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like the Star Wars fans. Like, <laughs> what what is canon versus what is not? But uh, so it, tonight we're gonna be changing it up. Instead of kind of limiting this to just ten questions, we're, we're gonna start with some questions from Twitter that I've sourced. But I, to be honest with you, like I'm really interested in your perspective on a lot of things that we're gonna be talking about. So uh, this isn't a standard run of the mill trap house ten. And there there may there might be some folks listening who don't know who you are from the youtube side and what you do so like one thing i'd love to just knock out off the gate is just kind of what, what what's the origin story origin of story? grandpa um i graduated yeah. in a really small town i think i graduated with a class of 48 people um took me 45 minutes to get to school i left there as soon as i could um i mean i'm super thankful for growing up that country you know my stepdad was a 28 year great game warden. You know, I had pet raccoons and bobcats and like a million dogs and hunted and fished, but uh, it's kind of lonely. Like, I wanted to chase girls, I wanted to get out. So I moved to like bigger and bigger cities, ultimately joined the army, um, made it into the infantry. Of course, I made it into the airborne infantry, which much the derision of a lot of Twitter. Uh, I think I like to, to brag about being airborne, uh, mostly just to, to upset others that aren't airborne. Um, did just like five and a half years there, did an initial enlistment, um, wanted to do security consulting. I don't know why. I just wanted to talk for a living. I didn't want to work. Um, looked at like FizSec consulting, got kind of into that some, but ultimately, um, landed on an information security like idea and finished a degree, um, got drafted into like a boutique security shop when it was young, um, and I've worked through there now where I am a boring middle manager, but mostly doing information security control consulting. 
That's nice. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed is there seems to be a pretty steady pipeline of folks who leave the military and go into cybersecurity and infosec um, versus like going into something like JavaScript yeah. development or uh, backend engineering. Why, why do you think that is? I, I totally know why it is. Um, so the first is that it's still adversarial, right? Like there's still a good guy. There's still a bad guy. Um, I think that most people, I mean, at least when I was in the infantry, like I will say that like, um, didn't really matter to me who the enemy was, obviously. Like, I mean, it wasn't as if like the Iraq war was about like America's freedom or anything. Even then I knew that, um, I just wanted, wanted to fight. Um, I think InfoSec's much like that, except I, uh, there's a little bit more purity to it. Like the, the people who are going after like my clients, um, I mean, they are malicious. They are bad. They are doing things or stealing identities or stealing data. Um, so there's that. There's the adversarial nature to it. Plus, um, there's a lot of correlation. I mean, building a patrol base, um, setting up static defenses or security for like a FOB or, or any, any secured area is the exact same as setting up you know, information security program to like set up an enterprise. Um, it's very similar. I see, I, I use a lot of the, the same metaphors now when I'm teaching people about InfoSec. Um, I tend to say words like key terrain um, that just, I think, you know, key terrain in the infantry being like areas that, that obviously are important to the mission or important to the area of operations. Same thing goes for like an enterprise. So to me, it's the same. And, you know, I, I hire a lot of veterans like we did. Um, my company has over 100 employees, I think now. And they they bragged the other day. They're like, we have, you know, 17 percent of our workforce is uh, veterans. And I looked at my team. It was 60. No. Yeah. 64 percent of my team was veterans. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think. Yeah, I think it's a really good area for veterans to get into. Like if they're still interested in doing good and fighting bad guys, I think InfoSec's the place to go. Yeah. I so I I'm not a veteran, uh but one of the, one of the observations I've made and like kind of the stereotype about the tech industry as a blanket is that we're a bunch of purple-haired leftists and um my my theory on this and you you might have some input into this also is like the the higher the barrier to entry of whatever language you're writing code in, whatever technology you're working in, um like the more merit meritocratic it is and it's less about what you believe but more about can you do the job yes or no um can you build shit that works yes or no uh, and then when you start the the closer to the front end you get where it's more about like feel design and like things of that nature that i guess more qualitative like the barrier to entry on html css is much lower and so you get a lot more of those characters who come in <laughs> and kind of represent all of us so like the further into the back end machinations you get um the more like freedom loving curiosity and like liberty-minded folks you start finding because like i i know for a fact that pretty much all the infosec guys i've met have been more of in line with like the liberty-minded right. side versus like being having a bernie sanders 2020 sticker on their laptop well, and there's um <laughs> there's a there's different like cohorts of the infosec like um demographic and one thing that like, you know, I'm not a fan of these and, and I've got on Twitter numerous time to talk about like we have like the hacker types, right? Like the the 
you know, the stage, the con people, the guys that, you know, they find one exploit, they turn it into a personality and a brand and they go on tour for the rest of their lives. Just talking about InfoSec, they never do it again. And if they ever do it, you know, they do it poorly uh, that I've seen uh, because I've worked with some of those names, but they tend to be a little more charismatic and narcissistic. And then they tend to take on certain political beliefs that I find um, adversarial. Um, but at the people who are doing like the blue team ops or even the purple team or just the real red team, like the real stuff that, you know, they're not going to go on a con and share their TTPs with you. Um, they tend to be a little bit more on the right of the spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, or even off the spectrum. They're apolitical, you know, like really they just, they want to be left alone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of where I've landed when it comes, I try to, prevent myself from talking about politics and also arguing with people on the internet. But ever since pickle came into my <laughs> life, I've noticed like my, not only my stress levels yeah. are much higher, but like I am getting pickle sucked into in. internet will, arguments. Yeah. But I will, yeah, he'll tag you in. Like anytime I do fights <laughs> with somebody, it seems like he pulls me in. I'm like, dude, I was having a good day today. Like, I don't want to talk to this guy with you. <laughs> Yeah. And, it, and it's about something about uh, it's about something that's like completely irrelevant to my life, like the plight of the South African aardvark. <laughs> and he's just like calling bullshit. Yeah, on yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't. Um, I, I, I'll argue with Twitter. I actually kind of that's how I got onto Twitter was arguing mostly gun control, which is now what I do. Like um, I told Braxton the other day, it's like I'll get bored, you know, seeing everybody talk about politics. And it's like, like my one thing. So I'll just go in there. I'll just search gun control, no replies and just enter that batting cage and just like just start knocking them out on people. But that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the only time I like to argue the rest of the stuff. Usually it's like, I just like that fun. If it's not fun, I shouldn't do it. You do it. You do it for sport. I can respect that. I can respect that. Yeah. It, 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 folk, folks always try to drag me into the gun control debate because like, that's like my entire personality. Like, I'm just a guy who really, 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 really fucking right. likes guns. And like, I, I, I am not interested in the gun debate. Like I'm be, I've, I have yeah. left that table. Like it's not a debate to mm-hmm. begin with. It's not a debate. Uh, right. And look at, yeah, exactly. Like I, I, so I was I was speaking at that Guns of Bitcoin conference earlier this month. Like one of my like, uh, one of my slides is like the Second Amendment's where it's at now because we assumed this was a debate in the first place. We brought data to a fist fight, assuming that this was going to be a fair, rational dialogue. Uh, and now I'm more interested in like building parallel systems that make gun control impossible um, and doing things rather than talking about them, uh, whether that's 3D printed guns or things of that nature. I like that approach. Um, yeah, that's but, the Cody Wilson approach. Yeah. Right? Like that's the... Yeah, exactly. The he would... He, he, yeah, like... He, he, Cody Wilson was on stage, right? Uh, two people before me, Not, actually. <laughs> I, had, I mean, he was probably my first Twitter crush. Like, I kind of felt hard for him. Like, I watched him on that, um, and I can't remember the name of the British syndicated show, but it's, it's like essentially like their news hour or something. And he went in there and just destroyed mm-hmm. this guy. I mean, he's quoting Foucault and all kinds, like, yeah, crushed him. I, I like the idea of crypto anarchy a lot better than I do any of the other anarchies. You know, I tend to think. Anarchists and libertarians, mm-hmm. no offense to any present company, like it tends to just be a lot of um, a lot of wishing, you know, whereas like crypto anarchy is just like, I'm going to make you obsolete. I'm just going to cut you out of my life. Like you can't do anything about me now. Like I'm just going to become a free man. Yeah, 
Exactly. And I, I use the libertarian banner as just a shorthand to not have to explain what I mean by things. I'm just like, libertarian's probably the closest thing. You know what that is. That's what I am. Just think of it that way. Uh, and like, I, I just generally have no interest in having conversations about politics and like i just send them down that wikipedia wormhole and like that's more or less what it is well it, it keeps, it, <laughs> but yeah, yeah it keeps being, being thrown into like one camp or the other right like you don't have to be a, a, a maggot or a, a libtard right like i'm a libertarian like just leave me out of it yeah i like it yeah I want, I want I want gay people to be able to smoke weed and shoot fully automatic weapons in peace and keep them yeah, running. I can totally be fine <laughs> with that. Like the only problem I have with with it is, is I just I feel like it's inevitable. Like somebody's going to legislate their morality, and I've just kind of reached the point where I'm like, it might as well be mine. You know, like I'll use the state against my enemies now because that's just what we do. But um, but yeah, I do I do want people to be more free if if that could only happen. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing with like, I, I'm like Liberty Twitter adjacent also. And like my, my problem with like the libertarians and minarchists is like any, any line they draw that's acceptable for government just seems completely arbitrary yes. to me. Like I'm so, well, it, government, government always grows. Like why not just take, get rid of it altogether and develop parallel systems that replace its function. Um, and that's, that's kind of like, what the onus was as far as getting involved in building things that make the state obsolete versus trying to fight within the confines of uh, uh, this public public dialogue. I yeah, guess. I do think 3D printed guns um, have rendered gun control entirely obsolete. I mean, you can see what it's doing to yeah, Europe. Absolutely. Um, you know, mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, we don't necessarily have to rely on that. So there's like, what, 350 million guns in America right now? Um, and they're pretty durable assets, yeah. but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's always a fallback now. I mean, and it looks like the stuff you guys are creating is robust enough that, um, I mean, I, I saw where they're even rifling barrels, which I found to be quite amazing. Yep. Through ECG. That's, a, that's nuts. That yeah, was always like the issue. I was like, yeah, straight up. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, just straight up using electricity to rifle your barrel at home in a Home Depot bucket. And about, I think uh, it was Ivan who gave a talk at the conference earlier this month that, about this process. I think he's got it down to where he can rifle a nine millimeter barrel in about, I think it's down to two hours now using uh, a low output, <coughs> low output uh, energy source and then uh, just like pipe. <laughs> <laughs> or steel rod yeah it's it's, it's phenomenal but we're, this isn't about 3d printed guns so before i digress any further let me let me keep going down so my, my next question for you man so we we mentioned pickle and like uh and we also mentioned or rather alluded to your time in the army P pickle had a really good question that i'd love to hear more about uh so pickle wants to know what's the lesson you learned from the army that has the most effect on you today I think, yeah, this is going to anger people that are in the army. Um, so the best lesson I learned is actually it's not official army doctrine because the official army doctrine is like mission first, um, people second. And um, from my experience, it's the opposite. Like there's always going to be another mission. You're not always going to get your friends back. Um, so I'm, I'm real heavy on taking care of people and subordinates. I think that the the most success I saw in the military is when I realized that they were the most important thing, like the most important asset I had. Um, 
so yeah, I would say that the thing I learned the most from my time in the military was just that like, um, your people are the most important, like you're never going to get them back. And, um, the only way that you're even going to accomplish those missions is have them trust you, believe in you, trust each other, believe in each other, pick each other back up, take care of each other. And so just facilitating that sort of like set of relationships, um, is the most important. I, um, in fact, yeah, that's easily my answer. Now, where where do you find that like the military and slash the supporting military industrial complex kind of falls short or maybe even just doesn't do a good job of that at all? Is it so much focus on that mission first side or do you see that getting better uh, prioritizing? I, I mean, I don't know. And unfortunately, like I don't even think that like we have um, we're not trying to win wars. I don't even think we're at war. I think we're spending money and um creating situations where we can exert power in order to just develop new technologies, new weapon systems, just it's, it's spending money. I mean, I'm not an anti-war. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the government and the military at large is um, not interested in taking care of people. I don't care what they say. I mean, it's been from my experience, like, um, this is probably, I'm not violating any NDAs here, but I can tell you that there was a time when I was in Baghdad, um, Laura Logan, I mean, I'm probably, I hope this isn't going to be somebody's scoop, <laughs> but Laura Logan came to look at a, um, we found a kid's orphanage in Baghdad. Um, we found out that it was like a, like a special needs kid's orphanage. Like these kids were being starved and just not being well taken care of. And we knew about it. And, um, you know, we called up to hire, said that, you know, we needed some, you know, humanitarian relief. We needed some help. We needed some trucks. We needed some medics some doctors. And um, they told us to wait until Laura Logan could get there. And Laura Logan was great. And again, like this has nothing to do with her. But, you know, I watched that. You know, we waited like an extra two days so that we could get it on film. Um, it's kind of a big show. I think that, yeah, the military has a selection process too for officers and the officers that value their soldiers first and not the mission and not the politics they're selected out. They don't make it to the top. I don't see how you could. I do think that special operations forces have a tighter community and a better setup. It seems to me that the officers and senior enlisted that make it up through their ranks tend to care more about their soldiers, but they're always going to be a small part of the military. I mean, they do a big part of the mission now, but they're really, you know, numbers wise, a small part. And so, yeah, I don't I don't think it gets better, unfortunately. And seeing how like political the military's gotten since I got out, um, I don't think it's going to get better. I don't know how it would. Um, there's no impetus to make it better. I mean, maybe one day we get into a war with like a near peer adversary or something and actually have to fight and pretend to fight again. But um, not with the current setup, I'm afraid. We're just uh, kind of maintaining an empire with it. Yeah, that seems that seems to be like the trend for like so when you, you talk about the, the the government and the military doesn't care about people like fiat like on the crypto crypto anarchy and the cryptocurrency side like on a long enough time continuum all fiat currency goes to zero on a, and then when you look at that political on the political side like on a long enough uh, time continuum all all states 
go back to tyranny and like it's the people who always get fucked and that's that's the that's the unfortunate reality of anything the state gets its hands involved in and like some of the best people i've met in my life have came from the military and like just watching watching how the machine just kind of chews people up like on the bureaucracy side and the politics side is it's it's disgusting to be honest with you. Like I, I, I hate it and I hate the state. No, I don't blame you. <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, you look at like the monetary policy, you know, people mm-hmm. there's, there's all this, in, you know, this, this propaganda, right? Like get your 401k, save your money, um, you know, buy a house. Um, and then they'll just wipe you out. Right. Like they'll just wipe you out, take your stuff. Mm-hmm. Like um, same thing goes for, like the military, you know, that, that you're almost used like a Kleenex. Like they need you, they use you, they throw you away. You know, I think that the VA's gotten better, you know, since when I first got out. I know there was a lot of trouble there, but almost every person, like every veteran I know that has like severe problems, like transitioning, it was the VA that somehow intervened in their life and made it worse, which is ironic. A lot of the folks like that tended to just stay away from the VA, especially from pharmaceuticals issued by the VA tend to do better. Um, you know, not go through a rough spot, but, um, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's just indicative of what the state does, right? Like creates dependency, creates people who need it. It's, it's what it does to sustain itself and ultimately eats everything around it. Yeah. No, no arguments here. <laughs> All right, cool, man. That, 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 that's, uh, that, that's really cool to get your perspective on. I, I suspected that was, I was a little worried about asking my follow-up question, yeah. but uh, I, I, I was rolling the dice no, there. There's no feelings here. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, don't, I treasure my time in the military. I truly do. Like, I think that there's nothing I went through that showed me, like, what human beings are really like, including myself. I mean, I've seen, I've seen what I'm capable of doing, like, in good situations and bad situations. Um, it was really valuable to me, but overall, you know, I don't, I don't have, I didn't come out of there thinking like uh, that America loved me and that the United States army is great about taking care of soldiers and people. Um, quite, it's quite the opposite actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's terribly unfortunate. Um, well, before I think, uh, before we go any deeper onto the anti state which I think is going to be a recurring theme here <laughs> tonight, but um, <laughs> going into the next question, Warpath Actual on Twitter wants to know, I, I notice he plays devil's advocate on Twitter a lot. Is it a, is he a troll or does he just enjoy the spirit of argument? I think you alluded to this earlier. Yeah. I, okay. So I am purely a troll. I will never claim to be anything else. I'm purely a troll. Like that account is, it's not fun to just all agree. It's not fun to just, I I get sick of seeing the same jokes made, the same arguments made, you know, that you'll have like an event that had like the the good examples, that kid with the pillow. What was the, um, can't remember this dork's name, Hog, right? David Hog, I think. Uh, Yeah. So like, yeah, that kid once created a pillow company. Like how many pillow biter jokes did we catch? in like two days it's like everybody made the same joke and it gets boring so Mm -hmm. yeah i do like i I won't lie i like to stir the pot sometimes sometimes i'm arguing for something that like i barely believe or i just think um i'm not i'm pretty flexible like i'm not always morally flexible like but i'm pretty flexible on a lot of arguments i like to see 
Mm-hmm. I like to see ideas debated. Um, I really, I will say that I'm trolling hard always, like the gun culture. Like I think, um, I think even fuddery is sometimes attacked when it shouldn't be. You know, like the, so like all right, Forty Smith and Wesson, right? Like Forty Smith and Wesson, I get it. Like all handgun calibers are terrible, um, but mathematically, if nine millimeters good, Forty Smith and Wesson is better. Like it has to be. Now, capacity aside, ballistically only, it has to be better. It's pushing more weight at the same speed or faster. Same thing with shotguns. Like we do this shotgun thing, like periodically where we say shotguns are terrible for home defense and they're not as good. They're not ideal. They're not terrible. They're not. There's lots of people who've been like shot with a shotgun, trying to break into someone's home. Like it's actually really common and it works. You know, um, so I like to troll the gun community like big time. I think that there's a lot of like group think like everybody has a 13.7 AR with an LPVO, you know, like everybody has the same gun all the time. Um, same setup. People are buying plate carriers. Don't even know why. Um, so, yeah, I like to I like to troll that. But I mean, truly, I like to see the best idea went out. I think, you know, I, I see one thing constantly. I'm like, I'm just going to go against that. I'm going to say the opposite of that. Like there's a, I have a contrarian nature. I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of school spirit, I guess. <laughs> People with a lot of school spirit uh, are the folks who take student government seriously and then grow up and become Nancy Pelosi anyway. So you're, yeah, you're good. I mean, one of the things I hate the most is just like, you know, I'm, I grew up in this like class of like our school of like um, shooter preference is what we used to call it. Like, you know, in the infantry, like, you know, we were all issued kind of the same gear and it sort of had to follow like certain principles, um, mostly for like the uniformity of like tactics, like, we, you had to mark your, um, your IFAC and such. Everything else was the way you wanted it. You know, if this is the way you want to go to war, go to war that way. And so I'll see that a lot. Like people will say, well, why do you have that? And this is dumb. You know, why are you carrying that? Like this is AR15.com says you shouldn't. Um, and it's usually, you know, people who, who don't really seriously <laughs> shoot, you know, like they have like, and no offense to anybody, the anime avatars or anything, but. It's usually like some 19 year old, like I, the good example is like I had a EOTech 512. I bought it when I first got back into shooting again, uh, about a year and a half ago. And, um, you know, I carried an EOTech 512 the entire time I was in Iraq and like the entire time. And then afterwards jumping out of airplanes, going from, you know, date palms in Iraq at like 120 degrees, um, to like Afghanistan where it's cold in the mountains, never had a problem with it. Some kids like thermal drift, you know, what do you know about thermal drift? Like the EOTech is terrible about that. And it's, you know, yeah, like two people had a problem with thermal drift on EOTech, but now we all have to talk about it. So yeah, I'd like to, I like to troll. I like to argue, but I think there's some purity to my beliefs. Like I would say I still have like, I, I still have some things that I believe in, but um, for the most part, yeah, I don't think that anybody's got it figured out. And I like to see them argue over it. Yeah, I, I, I think trolling is a perfectly valid function in society. Are, you know uh, the philosopher uh, Karl Popper? No. <laughs> Should I? Uh, so he, 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 yeah, yeah, he's really good. He's really good. I'd definitely check out the Wikipedia entry. But uh, he, he's a philosopher of science and he had this, he's most known for this idea of falsification, where he's like, uh, 
science, uh, what makes something um, objectively science is the fact that it can be falsified and proven wrong and uh, repeatedly done so. Uh, anything that can't be falsified is not scientific. And so like being able, th- that's kind of like a core function of science, being able to break things, prove it wrong. And like in, in, to, to go all like ivory tower on this, like Car- Karl Popper is kind of like the academic troll. And like he, he's, he's the one who makes trolling a, a legitimate function in society. No, I like, I mean, that, that is, I mean, we, you screwed up my bio a little bit earlier, but that's, that's my entire intent behind it is, you know, I don't have like the best idea, you know, I, I, I never do, but I, I'm pretty close to almost always breaking yours, you know, like I, I've got a weird, unnatural gift where you can tell me your idea or your plan or what you're about to do. And I'll be like, yeah, that's where it's going to go wrong. And pretty prescient on it. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to brag, but that's sort of how I got my job. That's uh, how I kept myself out of trouble a lot because I turned that, mm-hmm. turn that gift against myself all the time. Um, but no, it's breaking a plan is key. Breaking an idea is key. I mean, we, we'd all still be, uh, you know, cutting our meat with rocks if it wasn't for that idea. Right. (laughs) For sure. All right. Well, uh, our, our, our friend Demp now has our next question. Uh, and, and Demp, Demp's got a juicy one. (laughs) Demp Demp wants to know why, why is he so thick? Mm. Yeah. Calories. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, calories. Um, that's, that's all, you know, I, uh, I sit in this chair a lot at work. <laughs> so I would say that's why, um, I have been working on it, but, um, I think, I think I'm going to be a little thick for life now. You know, I've got pictures and I maybe should share these. <laughs> yeah. Boy. I think I should share these pictures for when I was a kid, but like, um, I used to be rather scrawny. Um, I graduated high school, at like 135 pounds. So like I was already bigger than Dip when I graduated high school. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, in the military, you know, I'd run, I'd lift, I'd eat all the protein I could. Um, I would take all those like near, um, steroids never helped. I capped it like 180. but as soon as, uh, the judge was born, um, I, I got into like kind of sedentary lifestyle and yeah, now I'm thick. I think that like, I don't know. I think that that's like a, of the dad bod. I definitely have a dad bod now. <laughs> thick boy gang. Right. gang. Uh, so if, let's say, let's say I'm going to ask a question on Deb's behalf. If so, Deb, Deb seems like a textbook hard gainer. Um, if Demp wanted to become a thick boy and join the thick boy gang gang, what, what advice would you have for him? Um, lift heavy. Don't go for reps, like lift heavy. Um, go for max gains. Um, 10 eggs in the morning, probably like meal replacement shakes in between, uh, lunch, more protein, maybe a whole chicken. (laughs) And then night before you go to bed, probably eat like two, two large pizzas. I, I want. I want to see Demp go on like a thirty day challenge to try and become a thick boy. Yeah, Demp, Demp I mean, funny because Demp's like scrawny. He drinks Bud Light, which is like water with alcohol in it. Like, there's not very many calories there, and the kid smokes like a pack a day. Like, you're not. I mean, that's a lot of. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. nicotine is a stimulant, right? 
Like, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I think it is. Yeah. Like if he quit smoking and he drank like, you know, a real beer, like something with calories, he might actually gain weight and become a man one day. <laughs> I love you. Deb. I do love it. Oh man. So yeah, go, going back to, yeah, for sure. Uh, going back to your bio, um, one, one of the things that drew, drew me to you, no homo, um, is your tagline, uh, breaker of people, processes, and technology. Now, on the troll question, you touched on this a lot mm-hmm. about this, but like, I, I was hoping to get you to expand a little bit more on this. So like, how, how do you break people? How do you break processes? How do you break technology? And then like, what what what's the overlap between the three? So when I got into InfoSec, um, I first was uh, on the vulnerability management side, um, and I wanted to get into consulting ultimately. Um, but my company, like I said before, was a boutique shop. It was small, and we had um, we had a couple opportunities with some clients in the West Coast and and the East Coast, I guess I should say, like in the Northeast, where they wanted red teaming, like physsec tests, like social engineering more explicitly. And so I got really into social engineering and it's, um, I don't know. I I don't think that I have any special credentials for it. I don't know how I pulled it off. Um, but I started with fishing like everybody does. So I did a lot of fishing, built us like a fishing service, which still survives and flourishes. Um, of course now I don't get to run it. Somebody else does. But, um, but I started there, but yeah, I went into onsite, um, social engineering. So I, I got into breaking the people really, because I, I'm not a technically gifted person. Like I'm, I can hold my own. Right. But like I told you before, like I'm kind of a stack overflow, like kind of hacker. So I don't, I'm not, I'm just not that good. (laughs) I'm just not that good. I mean, I think I said already, I graduated 48 people in the middle of like nowhere. I had no internet until I was like 14. So, um, so yeah, I broke people. Um, I would go in and, uh, I would wear fake badges that I made on a home printer. Um, I would turn my country accent usually up on 11. I'd be just Dosh Garnet. Can't you just help me? Um, I lost my badge. I left, uh, or my badge doesn't work or, Hey, I just need to, my boss is being really mean to me, but my credentials aren't working. Can you let me log into yours? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd break people just to prove that, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, all attacks, right. I've climbed like the OSI model to the point now where they're just hitting the person in the share. So, so yeah, I mean, that was the breaking people. Um, so then I did get into consulting um, consulting is breaking processes, really. I mean, most people think information security is like a set of protocols, is a set of technologies and firewalls. And but the, I mean, the truth behind it is, is it's always the processes. Like security is itself a process with many sub processes. And, you know, again, using like this natural gift and aptitude, I can generally hear somebody's plan about you know, their IDS IPS appliance or their logs and alerting or, um, I mean, any of those domains within InfoSec. And hearing that, I would say, yeah, right here. You know, if I was a malicious insider, how would you know if I did this? Or um, if I tried to, you know, move my traffic into port 80 or 443, how would you catch me? Um, Those are the kind of questions that I got good at. So I was breaking processes. 
And then, you know, what I'd say I have probably the most limited knowledge in, unless we're going to talk about within like the physical world is breaking like tech. Um, I've broken a lot of weapon systems within the military, broken myself included. Um, and yeah, so like, I, I think it's, I think it's apt. I, I liked that bio. I've held it for a couple of years, but I, yeah, I've broken people and processes and technology and I like it. I mean, I like it. Cause again, I think that's, there's always, if you break something or even if you've just made the plan on how to break it, you've made it better, you know, with the clients like that I have now, like that's what they pay me for. Like they pay me to break their plan and then say, okay, well, this is how I did that. You know, now if here's how you'd catch me, you know, this is especially with the social engineering pieces, I would always do out briefs. I'd always go back on site and just say like, you could have caught me if you'd asked more questions, you know, you could have caught me if you'd have followed me around and you could have caught me if you just said no, you know, the problem is, is most people want, especially my clients. I work in a very specific realm of, uh, of one market where people are very helpful. And so like I took advantage of, of their courtesy and their niceness. That's, that's awesome. So, uh, let, let's say someone was listening and they, they wanted, they wanted daddy grandpa to break them. How, how would they go about, uh, signing up? Yeah. I, I think the best way to like get me to break you is just, um, tell me your plan, you know, like, just tell me what you want to do and I'll I'll turn it on immediately. You know, what vehicle are you taking? Like, what are you going to wear? Um, I'll take anything. Like I, I usually can find the thing. It doesn't take me that long. On the, on the topic of social engineering, remind me after we stop recording because I'm not trying to get in trouble. Uh, one of the uh, one of the projects that I ran, which is actually how I became Twitter RC Cola Twitter famous. Okay. <laughs> my my entire Twitter account started as a social engineering experiment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, all right, cool. Well, uh, so next question is coming from our, our very good friend Braxton. Uh, and I've actually got another question coming from me about uh, your adventure with him a couple months ago. But Braxton wants to know, aside from the quote uh, about the thread that ties it all, what is the next most important part of Blood Meridian? And I, I actually found out when Bra- I interviewed Braxton that he was introduced to Cormac McCarthy through you. And Blood Meridian is one of my favorite books. Uh, so I, I, I'm definitely very interested. In yeah, that. this bastard picked. So like he has special knowledge of my Blood Meridian fandom. So he picked like to me what was the most important lesson in Blood Meridian. Um, oh, that's tough. I think... Yeah. So, I mean, okay. It'd be a toss up then because he did steal my favorite, which I mean, the, the, if you don't know, if you haven't read blood Meridian, there's, there's a character in it, judge Holden. Um, he's a very unfortunate character in many ways because you want to like him. You want to hate him. Um, he kind of exists like as this like Gnostic Archon or some Ubermensch, but, um, but he, he has like these sermons is what I consider them. And one of the sermons he talks about, like, the, every man's job is to try to find the single thread of the universe, like the thing that unites all of the parts. And that, I've always thought that was super fascinating. Um, the new, the other things I think, um, so I like the idea, and it's, it's again, controversial that like war is God, like, and it's, um, it's a really quoted part of blood Meridian. And I really hate a lot of the, 
it's just, it became trite. Like they took a really cool part of the book and then that's what everybody remembers. But the, the idea that, um, Mm-hmm. that God is like that. That's his mechanism of selection, like that all things in the universe are at war with one another. And that that's how he, he arbitrates and settles like disputes amongst his creation is via war. And the victor is the one who wins that battle and ultimately uh, destroys the other. So I really like that one. And, and sort of related to that, there's a, it's, it's kind of an obscure part of the book. Uh, one of the the more major, the other major characters, because it's the Glanton gang. But Glanton's staring at a fire, and he sees the coals, mm-hmm. and the the coals are like breathing with the wind. And he starts thinking about how, well, and this is like a total McCarthy thing, where he takes like one thing, focuses it, and then next thing you know, you're talking about the whole universe. But he says that like that fire was just like like any fire, like the fire that's within all men the first fire, the last fire, like every fire. And the idea there that like the universe is ultimately like just one fire, you know, like, and, and not, not just like in the classical sense of like oxidation, like, you know, like wood burning to ash, but you know, the big bang is this fire. And then like when the fire burns down, like the heat, like um, the heat death of the universe, right. It's like when that fire is extinguished, that that's the the life within us all. Like you know, your mitochondria are these fires that um, kind of propel you through the universe too. Like so, yeah, I like I like those two, um, but I do think that like I'm going to talk to Braxton about it's you know it's like besides ice cream being sweet, like what do you like about ice cream? <laughs> yeah, it's not really fair. <laughs> Yeah, if, if anyone's listening to this and they haven't read a Cormac McCarthy novel, uh, I highly suggest you do so. So the first time I ever read or listened to Blood Meridian, um, I was on a 10,000 acre cattle ranch uh, hunting hogs for two and a half days, I think. And I don't know. I don't know. Like li- listening to Blood Meridian um, in the middle of the woods. Uh, at night with a thermal scope just hits way yeah. different than uh, <laughs> reading it curled up in a. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of the best way. Like you're um, you're extremely lucky for that. Like I I did it on my family's ranch in Texas. It's like when I first touched it, and um, I also listened to it first before I read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just said like for the people that haven't read. Cormac McCarthy, like you poor ignorant savages, best author that's ever lived. I don't care. I mean, Solomon, maybe who wrote like Ecclesiastes and all the really good parts of the Bible. Like maybe he was better. Like, I still think it's debatable. I think Cormac McCarthy is the best. Mm -hmm. I celebrate the dude's whole catalog. You know, I really, really like him. But Blood Meridian is the best book ever written um, easily. I have a big crush on that book. Yeah. In the that audio yeah, book, I believe he's he's still alive, yeah, right? He's, he's still alive. He's just crazy. Like, I mean, I think in Texas they call it like crazy as a stomp yeah. ant. Like the dude is just I mean, he's super weird. He's he knows he's talented and great. He gives like no interviews. He gave one, I think, for the New York Times, like way back in like the eighties. Um, it's also great mm-hmm. because it shows how just weird he is. Um but yeah, he's a strange dude. He hangs out with like a bunch of scientists. You know this, like in some institute out in the desert. 
and he mm-hmm. just, I think he just gets high on shrooms with those dudes and talks about big thoughts and ideas. Um, and then the, I will say, if you're going to do, so you can't go hog hunting on a 10,000 acre ranch with thermals, but you should listen to the Richard Poe audio, like the audibles got it. Like that's the way to go get it. I think even YouTube has it. They've ripped it. I found it there. People need to go right now. Just Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm I'm Googling it right now. Oh, that's great. All right. Oh, no, cool, cool. I, I've got that bookmarked. I've got that bookmarked for later. All right. Now, next question comes from Shanti Ananda. Uh, they want to know, do the rumors do justice to his exploits in Bangkok? And to be honest with you, I have no idea what this no question is about. So if you could give me some context. I've never, be- <laughs> I've never even gone across the Pacific, so I wouldn't even have any idea. Like, okay. I wouldn't go to Bangkok. <laughs> I'd totally go to Bangkok. And I would try to, like, my best to come up with, like, or do some something that would be worthy of uh, of tale. But, yeah, I don't I don't have any exploits in Bangkok, unfortunately. The Hangover Four Gruntpa breaks Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, next question I got. This is actually something for me. So, I, I spent some time on your site, uh, and there's there's actually a really good article written from Eric uh, from the There Will Be Bourbon podcast on your site, Digital Drop Zone. The article is called "Left, Right, and Free," and here's here's actually a excerpt that I pulled out from that. We, we've removed effort. We have removed responsibility. We have removed meaning. If you were born in the United States of America, you have won the geographic lottery, but you are squandering it by choosing victimhood like a Powerball winner who chooses the lump sum and buys houses for his family and friends before the check clears. So I've talked about this a lot, like in real life, on the internet, things like that. And it really does feel like victory has defeated us in this country. Um, I think that was a line from Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of people resign ourselves to this idea of, oh, it's civilization's problem. There's nothing I can do. It's just the course of history. And I, I have some thoughts on this, but I'd love to get your thoughts around what an individual can do to avoid victimhood and avoid falling into this trap of resigning themselves to this, quote unquote, course of history. Yeah. I OK, so I will fortify the idea that civilizations like they go through cycles, like anything involving people go through cycles and um, we're in a decadent cycle. That's what he's talking about. Right. Like we have, we have everything afforded to us. I mean, I've made the joke and others have um, about, you know, the people that are like really impoverished in our nation tend to be obese, you know, like they tend to still have all the things that they need. Um, I've seen really poor people abroad and they don't look like our poor people. They don't act like our poor people. Um, so I do think that, yeah, I do think that like we are extremely decadent and I think that it's easy to fall into some of the traps that a decadent society creates and I've fallen into them, you know, like, I mean, just let's talk about like being overweight, right? Like we've got calories galore around here and um, it's easy. It's easy to consume them. It's easy to not exercise. It's easy um, to also just get stagnant. I mean, you don't, you don't have to learn, you know, like there's a piece of parchment hanging behind me. I know a lot of people that go and get these and then they're just finished. Like they never learn again. They never enter another classroom. They never read another book. 
they never have to do that. And I think the best way to do the, you know, is to, is to do a lot of self-examination and try to figure out where it is like, like you're going wrong or you're failing. You know, I, um, I went through like kind of a dark phase. I think, I think it's easy to do, especially if you, you know, you're not, you don't have like a lot of faith. I know a lot of people that have a lot of faith, you know, in like a community. Um, and I think that they're, they have bulwarks against some of this nihilism and some of this like cultural despondency, this like doomerism. Um, but then the others like me who don't have that, like who don't have a lot of people who don't have some religion or something to like, to kind of ground them. Like it's easy to just think of like, it's all meaningless. It's all stupid. I don't need to work. I don't need to care. Um, and the truth is, is like, even if the universe is meaningless, it doesn't mean you can't find meaning. And so I, I think that the best thing that people can do is try to find that meaning, you know, trying to find a reason to go do something, to go meet new people, to go outside, to learn a new hobby, to, um, to experience something different. Um, I think that it's, you know, like I said, there's a lot of young men, especially in our corner, it seems like that, that need that really, I think, need to get this message. And, and I know I needed it. You know, that's why I really like Braxton's book. Um, I think Braxton's book would have been really good for me about mm -hmm. four years ago. I mean, it was really good for me a year ago. But um, but yeah, that message that, you know, you've, you've still got a lot to conquer. You know, there's there's always something out there. Like even with him, I mean, he, he got over something that's tremendous. And anybody else would have just been like, they told me I couldn't walk again. And now I can but instead, like, look at what he does with his life now, you know, and I think that's, I think that's the key. That's how you get out of this cycle. Yeah, there's, you alluded to this idea of like, we're, we're living in a decadent stage of civilization. There, there's actually a really, I, you may have read this, but uh, there's a book called From Dawn to Decadence that's about really? that, about like the course of civilization and like the, the patterns that they follow. I, I, I read to read it in college, uh, like, 15 mm -hmm. years ago, but, um, and he, he talks about like the, the end state of civilizations is marked by decadence. And I was, I think I was talking to clay about this where I was like, you know, I, I, I lived in Costa Rica for two years and poverty there is very different from poverty in this country. And, uh, like the, the, the kids in the hood here in this country still got Xbox yeah. dog. Like what? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I yeah. think I think another book that's that, that kind of hits on this, and I like the idea. I think the book was not as good. No offense if the author sees this, but um, the fourth turning is like this, and it talks about those cycles, those generational cycles. Um, and usually, you know, all it takes is something bad to happen. You know, decadence does breed, mm -hmm. you know, irresponsibility, and irresponsibility tends to cause catastrophe, and then we all start over. Um, so yeah, hopefully we get to ride some of this decadence out as long as my son's still young, but we're ripe for it. I mean, yeah. it, it's definitely needed. You can tell like the things that we value now are not good things. Like, good seems to be bad and bad seems to be good. And even the things that we just accept also, like we're a lot of these things that we see or were unacceptable for a, a, a a contributing member to society to be taking part in. And like, now we just kind of, we, we just kind of let it, let it go. And yeah, like I think actually in the same time continuum that you were talking about four years ago, like I was in a really bad place. Uh, and we, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but um, 
like I, you alluded to like finding meaning and like, I firmly believe that shooting fucking saved my life. Like shooting instilled discipline into me, particularly I, so my injection point into the gun world was long range shooting and having, having that discipline, it was very meditational for Mm -hmm. me. Like it was, it was very Buddhist to be honest, like being able to hit a thousand yard target. Um, you have to be mindful of breath control, body positioning, finger placement. You have to understand your body as a system and how it relates uh, out on the target. And like, there's also an accountability standpoint. Like, what's true at a hundred yards is even more true at a thousand yards. <laughs> That's more true. Yeah, I like. Um, yeah, yeah, I like that idea. I, I I think that shoot like the shooting sports and just shooting in general. It does like it does instill discipline. I mean, there are like some serious roles and consequences to that to that act. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've tried to do the same thing with my son, you know, like he's still a very young boy and, you know, I periodically take him out and show him just how scary the guns are. You know, like we have them. I think it's part of my duty as a parent, you know, I, I don't leave errant firearms around loaded or anything, but um, I want him to understand like the power of that weapon so that, he doesn't take it for granted. I think that a lot of kids that, you know, are raised with this irresponsibility. I mean, that's what that generates. That's why there's so many tragedies. Like, you know, it's, um, firearms are a good way to show people discipline for sure. Yeah. I, I keep going. I keep, I, when I was like lining up my questions, I kept alternating serious mm-hmm. and funny okay. questions thinking was like, Oh, okay. That'll give us a breather. But I'm like, this is fucking jarring. <laughs> <laughs> like going back and forth. I'm not off put. Let's go. Let's go. Let's, we're going to do something fun now. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do something fun okay. now. So, uh, JT, JT Gigolo, JT Gigolo. I sorry if I'm butchering this, but uh, he he wants to know: Is Braxton seriously a or is, is Braxton secretly, secretly a Sasquatch? He is a he is a uh, he is some sort of animal monster. Like I mean, he's not a Sasquatch, right? Like at least I don't think so. Like if he if he takes off his human suit at night, um, it would definitely surprise me. But no, I mean he he is he is as close as a human can be to the the incarnate embodiment of some cryptid. Like he, um, it's amazing. I mean, and one thing, I mean, I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not giving away too much away. But like his injuries are still like they still affect him, you know. And he has to go through like a morning ritual to get to kind of get ready, and then he gets ready and he just smoked me. He just smoked me. I mean, I I did pretty good up there at elevation being thick with a rucksack and a rifle and snowshoes and one pound, like clunky ass boots. Like I have all my excuses lined up, but um, yeah, I mean, it it was a rough go and that dude doesn't stop. Doesn't quit. Like, I mean, well, he quit a couple times because he had to wait for me to catch up. Um, But he, uh, yeah, he, he could be Sasquatch (laughs) and that might be part of like his denial mechanism, right? Like, Maybe he's like the Sasquatch kid who came out from the village, you know, to live amongst us. And then he goes and tries to dispel the rumor of Sasquatch. So quit looking. Talking about OPSEC, Braxton's Twitter account is one entire misinformation campaign to protect Sasquatch. He's been sent out of society to (laughs) to protect the secret land of Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I I've been fortunate enough to I've, I've been spending quite a bit of time talking with Brax these last couple of months, and like I'm I'm lining up to try and uh, head out his way to yeah. go on a hunting trip, and he's trying to come down to Texas to go uh, shoot some hogs with me. And so you recently had a wolf hunt with Braxton. Um, I think it was like eight weeks ago or something yeah, like that. It's like um, the end of February, beginning of March. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I, I was I was following that thread as it developed, and I he, he, I talked to him about it when he came on the show, and it sounded like y'all were on wolves for a few days, but like ended up striking out. Which I mean, that, that's part of the game. Like I I went out last night and I struck out. And and did first of all, did you grow up hunting? I'm yes, assuming you did. So yeah, yeah. I okay, had great. you know because my stepfather was a, a game warden for so long. I mean, for 30 years almost. Yeah. Um, we had keys mm-hmm. to every place in our county and like the surrounding three counties. Um, so that's like all I did growing up was hunting fish. Um, but you know, the hunting in Texas is much different than the hunting out West. It's very different. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because Braxton, you know, Braxton sold me on this wolf hunt in like November or September. And I kept having to put it off cause I was trying to move and trying to find a house, trying to move. And finally, um, he, he got me locked in and he was like, you know, we're going to go in February. We're going to do it in February. So it was like the end of February and I showed up and we're driving back from the airport. And he's like, so now it's like for me to tell you, like, um, wolf hunting is like the second hardest hunt in Idaho. Like the first one being mountain goat, which I mean, mountain goat, but like, and he's like in the hardest season or the hardest time to hunt them is now. Like sweet, you know, like, so it was, um, it was a very tough hunt, but yeah, I grew up hunting and we had, we were on them, but I mean, being on them is like, I mean, to say that you're approximate to wolves, which are fairly nomadic creature that covers hundreds of miles. Like he was talking to me and then another outfitter, like some of these tags, um, you know, these collars that they put on them, you know, their range will be like 500 miles you know, they'll cover like an amazing amount of territory. So yeah, being on them means that like we were in, what I guess would be like the state of Delaware, you know, next to them. But yeah, it was, um, it was an endless experience. (laughs) Yeah. So like that, now that you, I know that you grew up hunting. So like what, what's like striking out for me, like being able to, being able to pull the trigger, like that's not hunting. That's like one side right. of hunting. Like for that's me, like, it's being out by myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like striking out, you learn a lot about yourself also. You lot you learn a lot about uh first time hunters who you like you might be friends with and they've never been before. You take them out and like everyone thinks like, oh, you go into the woods, you shoot something, you bring it back and you're good. That, that's how it works. Uh so like what are what are some of like the interesting lessons that you've learned throughout your life hunting? hunting? Yeah, I think, I mean, you, you really hinted at the first one, which is just that like, it's hunting, it's not killing, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you don't get to go and (laughs) just pick one, you know, and shoot it down. Um, that would be the first one. The next one is, is like a lot of the best experiences are typically the ones that are the most miserable. I think Ranella talked about this and I'm just going to be ripping him off because I really, I mean, I High quality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, this sucks so bad, you know, like this sucks great. Um, a lot of the best experience I have with that same thing with like the camaraderie, like the, the culture around like the hunting camp is different 
I mean, it's like, um, it's like a locker room type humor, but at the same time, like there's a lot of sharing, you know, because somebody forgot something or somebody wants to try that. Um, I really liked that growing up, you know, like the deer camp is a cool place to be. Um, also like, you know, you were, I think you alluded to this earlier, just like you learn a lot about yourself, you know, you, it's real easy to walk out into the woods and quit, right? Like, it's just like, it's like a run that doesn't have a finish line. You know, you can easily just stop, you know, and say, oh, I went hunting. And most people are like, cool, man, you went hunting, you know, but it's, um, yeah, to stay in and to stay hooked and to not give up and not quit or even sometimes not to kill something. Like I've gone on a lot of hunts. It just didn't feel right. I just didn't want to shoot that one. Thought there would be another one. Or maybe I just, it just, I don't know. I just didn't feel it that day. You know, I think those are important things to take away because yeah, it's, it's more about the pursuit than it is about the outcome. You know, everybody wants to have like that picture of like this great buck or this huge hog or, you know, some wolf. Like, I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, man. I wanted a wolf real bad. I didn't get a wolf, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade the experience I had for anything. I really wouldn't. Like it was, it really, did, I mean, I, this sounds really trite, but it like changed my life. I, I haven't hunted really since the war. I've killed four deer, uh, a couple coyotes, stuff like, I mean, and those were all just like, I mean, they were like drive-by hunts. Like I wasn't really always out hunting, but like since the war, I didn't really hunt much. I went on a couple, yeah, dove hunts. I mean, just real casual hunting. I didn't really hunt, hunt. And going back out there with Braxton really, I mean, it kind of turned me back into it. Like I kind of, I have like two passions now. I have like gun runs and hunts. Like those are the two things I want to do. That's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I usually, since here in Texas, and you know this better than most, uh, I usually take the summers off just because I got this sweet, sweet ocean Mexican blood and the mosquitoes won't leave me alone. Uh, and then also like, I, I primarily do night hunting mm. too. So like I'm frying my retinas and thermos right. and like, it's, it's there's a lot of disappointment to deal with in the summertime uh when you're going out here in texas and it's learning how to deal with disappointment i think is another big one too like like i i i, I usually tell new hunters like 50 50 odds something shows up like we could do everything right and things just won't be in the area uh, it's uh, to be. I haven't actually done the math on that. It feels like it's yeah, less than be bad. <laughs> no, yeah, and and I want to. You know, I'd like to hunt hogs at night. I never had the opportunity. You know, my um, my old man lives out. Like he's got about one hundred and forty something acres in north central Texas, and then the current situation, we still have about two five thousand acre ranches. Like that are adjacent to ours. And I've recently joined the nighttime gang. Like I have a set of PVS. Oh yeah. And I've got a mall and I've, I've talked to him a couple of times on the phone. I'm like, we need to get out there. Like, cause he's getting older. And I'm like, this is just like, we're going to put it on cheap. mode. Like we're going to, he's got like a couple of food plots that I know that they want to hit. I was like, we should just drop the fence on those things and like, let them come in and never get out. But uh, that sounds like a cool hunt, but, even then, I mean, even, you know, at night with all the advantage, yeah, I mean, you're not likely to, I mean, you're, you're going to strike out. That's going to suck. 
and you're going to learn a lesson there. And sometimes you're going to think you mm-hmm. did everything right, and then you're going to realize you didn't do something yeah. right. There was one thing you didn't do, right? Like you came in off the wind or something. Like you, you made too much noise. Um, there's always a lesson, I think. That's why I like hunting. Yeah, that's, that's to- totally agree. Yeah, dude, if, 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 you're ever, if you're ever in the Central Texas area and you want to go hop on some pigs, okay. let me know. Uh, this summer, this summer, or this fall, I sh- this fall, I should have a second Pulsar uh, to have okay. for buddies to bring along. So any, anytime you want to come out, we can, uh, we can go put, put some uh, pigs Man, Don't threaten me. It's a, it's a good yeah. time. It's you I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I, we could we could actually try to get it aligned so that you, me, and Braxton can go out and do it <laughs> together because uh, he he's actually never done a hog hunt and it's one of his bucket list oh, yeah. items. So I was like, dude, I mean, I I killed thirty. I, so I trap hogs also for the state of Texas, and uh, I killed thirty. I killed thirty eight in December. I was like, dude, <laughs> like you're talking to the yeah, right yeah, guy. I think so no, that'd be cool. All right, cool. Uh, next question is from Tenet M5, and he wants to know. Oh, this is me going back, alternating silly and serious questions. But he wants to know cargo shorts, yes or no? I am again like this is a shooter preference question. Like if you're trying to get chicks, mm-hmm. probably shouldn't wear cargo shorts. Now it's a pair. The only people <laughs> listen. The only people that hate cargo shorts are women and Brink, and I'm not sure that that's a distinction. You know, like. <laughs> They're the, but they they manage all the fashion. Like they get to make all the fashion decisions. You don't. They decide what's cool. You don't. But um, if you're not going for chicks, man, utilitarian. Like they're they're a purse on your legs. You can put more stuff in there. You can carry a lot of things. Like I I don't own cargo shorts because I have women in my life that wouldn't allow it. Um, but I I used to, and I I loved them. I miss them. I miss them dearly. But yeah, now now I don't have uh, I don't have that. I have to hand off all my things or to carry my phone in my hand like a savage. <laughs> yeah, when Brink came on, uh, we had the cargo short discussion, and th- this mad lad straight up stood up in his chair to show me what he was wearing. He was wearing like GI shorts <laughs> and flexing his quads, and um, I, I think I think. YouTube demonetized me because of that. Because <laughs> he, that, so like, I, the reason why I started doing these interviews is because all of my gun and hunting videos were just getting demonetized as soon oh, as man. possible. So I was like, well, fuck it. Uh, and so I brought Brink on, and Brink has the, is the exception where all of my podcast interviews are monetized except for Brink. That's funny. And that's why, is <laughs> because like, that's somebody's, that's somebody's fetish, right? Like, they have like a quad, they have a quad fetish. And he he fulfilled that, so he got popped. Not shocked. Yeah, you you win some, you lose some. But he's uh it, that 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 interview is close to my heart because of his soliloquy in the beginning about uh the possum war. <laughs> All right, last question, my man. Uh, Joe, son of James, wants to know what's the worst MRE: dehydrated beef patty or dehydrated pork patty? Wow, this is gonna date me. Um, veggie omelet. Veggie omelet was way worse. Yeah, I don't even know about dehydrated pork patty. I, that's probably like a thing for these new cats. Um, I got out of the MRE game when I was supposed to be in it. Like, I stopped eating MREs when I was still in the Army. Like, I was just done. I'd rather starve. Um, 
MREs are awful, but back then the veggie omelet, I think was the worst one. And it was, I mean, it was real bad. Um, yeah, that was the worst one. Definitely the worst one, but a dehydrated pork patty sounds awful. That, I, I think the Amazon sales of uh, dehydrated veggie or ve- veggie omelet MREs are spiking right now. When people hear this, they, it's the it's the new uh, TikTok challenge. It's gross, man. <laughs> it's super gross. Like, yeah, I mean, but MREs are just bad in general. Like, I'm not sure it's healthy to eat them. Like the things that they do to your digestion are unnatural. The way they make you feel isn't good. Um I was a big fan of, uh, uh, this is like, I'd, I would get ramen. I would take ramen and I'd crunch it up and I'd pour the salt in it and I'd put it in like a Ziploc bag. And in Iraq, it was great because you get to eat it just like granola, but you could also just put it in like the clear plastic water bottles and put it on the roof for like 20 minutes and it would make soup because it was so fucking hot. But yeah, I didn't, I did that instead, like in tuna. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh man, we, you're, you're talking about the Ocean Mexican Friday Night Special. Like, I grew up watching TGIF on TV, eating raw rum. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way, man. Oh man. All right, dude. Well, thank thanks so much for coming on, man. So, uh, go ahead. And, uh, where 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 can the people find you if they want to follow you more on Twitter and also uh, your they site? shouldn't follow me on Twitter because it's terrible. Like, <laughs> they're probably just gonna annoy me, but. Um, it's the votary, which is no, there's no vowels. They're all replaced by numerals. Like probably just check your page. Like, yeah. T H I think three V zero T four R Y. And then uh digital drop zone. All over. Yeah. yeah digital drop zone.com. And then there's forums, which I encourage people to do because I'm paying the rent for that thing. Um, I'm not as, I'm not there as often as I probably should be. I should definitely be watching those kids in there, but they seem to behave themselves. Like I leave $20 on the bar for pizza and they haven't burned it down yet, but there's forums at assembly area dot digital drop zone.com, um, for people to go and, and meet likewise and friendly amigos. But yeah, that's how to find me, but leave me alone. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. It's it's great learning from you and talking with you, dude. Uh, you, 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 you're a sharp guy. Likewise.